Our Bible reading this morning is Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. The only context you need really is to know that they are in the middle of rebuilding the temple. We pick it up, chapter 2, Haggai, verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priests replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures, there was only ten. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, Give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. And we know God will take this, his word, and bless it to our hearts. Amen. So what was going on there? Well, you know already that they were in the middle of something. They were in the middle of rebuilding the temple. What you might not know, however, is that that was why they had been released from Babylonian captivity to go back and rebuild the temple. And we learned earlier in the book of Haggai what had happened. Uh, and, and that was that for 18 years, they did nothing to build the temple. 
And that brings God through Haggai to, for Haggai to preach his first sermon. And he says something very interesting in the first sermon. He says, God knows that you have put panels in your houses. And yet, you can't build my temple. And the thought struck me that God knows the color of, my, of the paint in my kitchen and the wallpaper in my bedroom. God knew how these people were spending their lives. And for 18 years, even though that was why the Emperor Cyrus had released them, for 18 years they did nothing about building a temple. So with this prophecy from Haggai, they have a change of heart and mind and they begin to build a temple. And then they get discouraged. Do you know how long it took for them to get discouraged before they, when they started building to when they got discouraged? It took three and a half weeks. And Haggai had to come back to him again and give them the word of the Lord again. And that was Haggai's second sermon. And this is Haggai's third sermon. Because they did go back to work. Uh, there was all sorts of discouragements that God addressed. And they got back to work. And one of the things God had said in that second sermon is that, that God is a God of small things. Don't worry that your progress is slow. In God's hands, it'll grow. So then Haggai comes with this third word from God when they are in the middle of building the temple. And what God says to Haggai is, ask the priest what the law says. Now, I know that you're saying to, well, you don't believe in priests. Well, not in that way I don't. What I do is believe in the New Testament understanding of the priesthood, which is the priesthood of all believers. Every believer is a priest. So therefore, the question, what does a priest do, is kind of important. Because that is part of our relationship with God, the priesthood of all believers. So God says to Haggai, ask your priest what the laws says. And the task of a priest, above everything else, was to teach the people the difference between that which was unholy and that which was holy. In Leviticus 10, verses 10 and 11, it says, So that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and so you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. We might think in those Old Testament days the job of the priest was to do all the ceremonial stuff, which was part of their job, but the most important part of their job was to teach people what was holy and what was not holy. So God needed to reintroduce these people who had lived for 70 years in pagan society in Babylon. He needed to reintroduce them to the whole idea of holiness. 
Leviticus 11, verse 44 says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. And that same thought is repeated in 1 Peter in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 16. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Remember Moses in the desert, how he came to the burning bush and God says, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. How was Moses to know what was holy ground? Was, was the ground covered in gold or silver or precious stones? Did that distinguish it? No, it was the same ground as that that was a wee bit further off. The only difference was that God had decided that it should be consecrated as holy ground. He had set it aside for a holy purpose, which was to have this bush that was in the midst of it burning. And you see, the people in Israel, well, you know, they went about their ordinary lives. They had pots and pans in their kitchen to cook a meal, and they had knives and all sorts of instruments, and they had a fire to, to cook their food. So what was the difference between that and when they came to the temple or the tabernacle? There were pots and pans there. There were knives. There was places to cut food. There was, there was places to burn or to cook the food. What was the difference? The difference was that God had decided that, that those things and that land and that process that the priests went through would be holy. And it was the job of the priest to make sure that people had a good idea of what holiness was about. It was about things and people being set apart for God. So then... God asked two questions of the priests. Question one in verse 12. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine or olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? And question two. If a, <clears throat> if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Now, to the modern ear, these questions that God asks seem complicated and obtuse, and, and it's hard for us to really grasp at first reading. But let me put it in simple words to you. The question really is, is holiness contagious? If I touch something that God has designated as holy, do I catch holiness? That's the question that God is asking the priests. And the priests give the answer, no. No, you can't catch holiness by touching something that is holy. And the second question is the opposite. If something is unclean and it comes into touch with something that is holy, is that object that is holy made unclean? And the priest said, yes, it is. So what is the point? 
The point is this, the people, having accepted the challenge to rebuild the, the holy temple, that they had the presumption that since they were involved in a holy work, that that made them holy. Here we are, we're turning up with our picks and our shovels and our chisels and our saws and our wood, and we're working every day to build God's temple. Therefore, it really doesn't matter how I live my life the rest of the time. As long as this, I do this holy thing, I will be holy. Can you see what God was beginning to communicate with them? Can you see the chink here that there is in their thinking? You could be here this morning. And you could be saying, here I am, I'm in this holy place and I'm doing this holy thing and uh, I'm singing these holy songs and I'm listening to this holy person up in the pulpit. Well, that maybe be a bit of a stretch, that one. Therefore, since I'm doing all these things, that makes me holy. But being in the presence of holy things doesn't make you holy. You can't catch holiness from somebody else or something else. That's what God's saying here. We'll come back to that. However, what we can do if we are engaged in the work of God as they were in building the temple, what we can do is bring our sinfulness into that work and defile it. Take away something of its holiness. That was the point of the second question. Presumably, the people involved in the building of the work of the temple were not taking care of their own lives. They were simply engaging in external worship, worship acts when their hearts were not right with the Lord nor their lifestyles. Jesus encounters such an attitude in the Pharisees. He says all kinds of rebuke to them, the blind leading the blind, whitewashed gravestones full of corruption, hypocrites, And in the New Testament, God challenges those who come to communion and says, let a man stroke woman examine themselves. Why? So that you do not drink unworldly. If the family characteristic of God's holiness does not extend to our homes, our workplace, our neighborhood, there is something wrong and we need to know this. It is not compensated for by our works in this place. And such things have two consequences. Firstly, the work of God is damaged. It uses the word defiled. And secondly, the people of God are humbled. At first point, the work of God is damaged. Verse 14 of Haggai 2. Then Haggai says, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. We hamper and hinder the work of God if our lives are not right with God. 
When we bring our egos and our angers and our jealousies and our selfishness and our eternal internal strife and our feelings of entitlement and our rivalries, when we bring them to church, not to repent of, but to hug and to hold, we dull the glory of God that should radiate from our church. And that's not good. And that is what God was saying to the people on Haggai's day, and it's what he's saying to us. But don't worry. God has a way of helping us when we start to go wrong in our lives. And sometimes it is to be that contrary wind. Remember Jonah set off? He was meant to go to Nineveh, but he said he would go to Tarshish. Nineveh, I'm not too sure where Nineveh is in relation to Ravenhill, but say it's that way. Well, Jonah decided to go that way. And God sent a contrary wind, made it difficult for him to journey that way. And this is what God says he has been doing with the people of God because their lives are not yet right with him. And we come to a list of things in Haggai chapter 2. It says, for instance, a heap of 20 measures when there was only 10. When they went to the storage jar to get flour, it would be full of weevils. And by the time they sorted out the good and the bad, they only had half left of what they thought. The country wind God was bringing was that there was hardship where they expected blessing. There was less instead of more. He's, in this list, he says, there's, a person goes to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, but there's only 20. They go to the clay jar and find it's developed a leak two-thirds of the way down the jar, and a good bit of it has leaked out. And then when they come to reap in their harvest, God has sent blight and mildew and hail. And so the crop is flattened or it's poor. Instead of getting the 30 or 60 or 100 fold that they expected, they have much less. Or the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate tree and the olive tree, they come to harvest them, but there has been no fruit on them. The bounty of God's of, of nature has been held back by God. This is what he did. And he says, I have done all this, and yet you have not yet turned to me. Jesus says it another way in Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where, leaves break in, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. See, God still knew about those beautiful oak panels that they had in their houses. He knew what was in their heart. They were looking after number one. They weren't really putting God center and forefront in their lives. And now... In the middle of building the temple, God comes to them. And he says, I really need to speak to your heart today and let you know what I know. 
But all that I've said in, in this passage of Scripture so far, all that is about to change. What was going to change? Well, times were going to go from hardship to blessing. From there never been enough to there been more than enough. Now, I don't think we are on the edge of some prosperity gospel. We're not. The lesson we learn today is the opposite to prosperity gospel. The point is God has brought a country wind because the people were seeking their own prosperity. But all that's going to change. Look what God says in this passage of Scripture. The same phrase three times. And when you get the same phrase three times in a portion of Scripture, pay attention. Verse 19, from this day on, I will bless you. Verse 18, from this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Verse 15, now give careful thought to this, from this day on. From this day on. From this day on. From this day on. Three times God says to them, what is this day? If I ask you, please complete this sentence from this day on, what would you add? From this day on, I want happiness. From this day on, I want wealth. From this day on, I want health. What would it be? Do you know what would make you happy? I'm not sure. Remember the people of Israel were starving in the desert? And they complained to God and said, this is pretty miserable. We were back, we're better back in Egypt again in slavery. And God sent manna from heaven. It just dropped down from the sky. And why? It was brilliant. They just had to pick it up in the morning and cook it. If it had been dropped in our hand, we'd have fried it. But a couple of months later on, the husband or the wife comes into the house and says to their partner, what's for tea? And they say, it's manna. They say, oh no, not manna again. We had it yesterday. And they say, yes or no, and you're going to have it tomorrow and the next day and the day after. They were so happy months previously, but now it doesn't make them happy anymore. Do you remember when this virus came and they started talking, closing things down and locking things down? And we thought, hi, how are we going to cope? How are people going to pay their mortgages? How are they going to feed their families? And then the government came with this furlough scheme, and we thought it was brilliant. It was wonderful. And that went on for months and months. And then they've 
come September time, they, they reinstigated it. But, but it was slightly worse than the last time, and it wasn't enough this time. Do you see how we are as human beings? What makes us happy in the moment? A few, a few days, a few months further down the road, and it doesn't make us happy anymore. So again, what is it about this day? Well, what is this day that God is speaking of? This day when Haggai comes and speaks to the people of God as they work at the temple. Do you know what this day is? It's the day of instruction. It's the day that God teaches the people what he wants them to know. So let's try it again. Complete the sentence. From this day on, I will follow God. From this day on, I will allow God into my heart. From this day on, I will seek God's ways. From this day on, the person I am at church and at home and at work will be the same God-filled, God-focused person. There will be no difference from this day on. God comes to us when we are in the middle of something else. That something else could be a good thing, like building a place of worship like Haggai's day. It could be raising a family. It could be establishing a worthwhile career. It could be while being a helpful person in your community. Or it could be that in your life, you are in the middle of your life falling apart. A marriage breakdown, a health breakdown, a personality collapse through addiction. Or it could be that you are in the middle of being preoccupied with yourself so that you don't care about anybody or anything else. Or you could be in the middle of just having your life satiated with media, social media, TV media, whatever. Your, your, so many hours of your day is taken up with being in the middle of that. But regardless, regardless of what you are in the middle of right now, from this day on, will I be watching a beautiful life unfold before my eyes? Will that be you? Why? Because from this day on, you are going to pay attention to God. That's it, isn't it? God came to the people in Haggai's day amid the shovels and the picks, the chisels and the saws, the noise of construction, 
and a limpet like sticking to our plan. And then in the middle of that, God speaks to us and we see our life as God sees it. That even as in the days of Haggai, they could be building a worship place for God, and yet God is missing from the centrality of their life. The wonderful thing about God is this. He keeps believing in a world that keeps breaking. Again and again, this world keeps breaking. And the people of God, they keep breaking. But God is so confident in the power of His Word, of the power of His instruction upon a people who have already opened their hearts to Him. He knows that what they will learn in this day is going to have such a wonderful effect upon their lives that they will be transformed for the better. God knows that before it even happens. Instead of walking contrary to the way of God, they are going to be walking in the same direction. Like Jonah, there is coming a turnaround so effective that God doesn't wait to see how it works out. He is going to bless the people straight away. God always does that. I love that about God. He always pays it forward. God doesn't set out a challenge and say, well, we'll see how you meet that challenge, and then maybe I'll think about how I ration out my blessing. No, God allows his word to be declared, and he says, I will bless the hearers of this word. He blesses them straight away. As always, God offers grace first, because although he is a holy God, and his holiness could so easily be a boundary between us and him, he always finds a way of drawing us towards, toward him with his love. So he says that word at the end of Haggai's sermon. From this day on, I will bless you. I will bless you. Because you know that you live within my blessing, I will see that transformation that I seek, that coming towards my holiness. Let's pray. O oh God, there is no God in heaven but you. We thank you that our minds are not filled with a multitude of possibilities or a cauldron of universes. Instead, you are one God, one Lord, and one ruler over all. And you tend to us as a father tends to their children. And you came to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and you dwell within us by your Holy Spirit. And today, you, this singular God, calls us 
to follow you. And we will. Because we trust you. And know you in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.